Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC825. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, welcome back. Thank you. I know you tried so hard to call in last week. I felt bad. I finally got to see snow. You did get to see snow. I feel like we live in the south here. Tell tell me about uh, traveling with your son to see your latest school. I went to the University of Colorado, saw a blizzard. Uh, got to witness uh, firsthand the hypocrisy of college, college football. We'll get into that sports. in one second. Yeah. We got we got to do a little business. Uh, it, it's been a tough week here at the station. It has, and uh, we don't want to get too far into the show. You know, it's not easy to transition back and forth. But uh, the operations manager here, Tim Halloran, passed away suddenly. Uh, you can really see Jeff from the reactions of the people here as they find out, uh, people who knew him online. Uh, how shocking it is uh, for them. Obviously, our condolences to his family. We we work here with everybody at six ten. Um, just a tough week for everybody here. Yeah, and, and even if even if you didn't know him, I mean, you can you can find a lot about people when you see how other people react to it. Um, but for people who listen to this station, you, you do know him. You know his voice. Because you heard him on the lead in to he, the show. He, he is the lead in to this show and From many the other 555 shows. Building. Um, and I kind of hope they keep that. Yeah, it's uh, so, uh, you know, there's no easy transition back to sports other than to say he always helped us make sure we could get our sports on the radio. So uh, we'll go back to doing that. But we did want to take a minute before we get into it and talk about that. So let's go back out to Colorado, Jeff, where college football hypocrisy occurred while you were there and you are making a statement. Go ahead. Uh, I'm making a (laughs) statement. Uh, Look. Mel Tucker is the was the coach of the University of Colorado for one whopping season. Uh, he was previously the um, a, a coordinator for the University of Georgia. Uh, he comes to Colorado. He recruits kids. He tells them he's going to be there. Uh, he gets through National Signing Day, where he's telling all these kids, you know, commit to this school because I'm going to commit to he you. He doesn't believe in the portal go, window. Well, hold on. So he, go, he goes through uh, going to these kids' houses and talking to their parents, and in some cases, talking to their grandparents, including Drew Pearson. Yes. Former Cowboys. The Drew Pearson. The Eagles, Drew Pearson. Yes. Uh, and who was so, not happy about it on Twitter, by yeah, the way. Yeah, well, so rumors start while I was there that Mel Tucker is being considered for the Michigan State job, which only opened up after suspicious uh, re- resignation by D'Antonio right before Is that a Michigan day. comment of it? No, I, come on. He retires right around National Signing Day? He needs a break. At, when there are all sorts of reports that we won't go into? I'm not going to speculate Right, about okay, that. well, okay. Allegedly, there's allegedly things. Go ahead, keep Fine. talking. So, so Mel Tucker comes out and releases a statement saying, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> has, ha, has the uh, athletic director say, he, I've talked to him, they he put ain't it, going anywhere. They do it in erasable he, he, talk, he talks to Drew Pearson. He talks to the kids. He tells them, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. Michigan State apparently well, moves every, on to four other people or whatever. Everything's fine for him. Everything's fine for him. And then all of a sudden, he disappears in the middle of the night after doing a radio interview where, once again, he says, I'm not going anywhere. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, he disappears from campus and shows up in Lansing, Michigan, where he's accepted the job as the head coach. Now, this is first, I have a problem with coaches that do this because you've asked families to commit. And I know that they're committing to the school. And for the most part, all of these kids have, have, have said, I'm committed to the school. However, but they're not. They're committing to the coach and the program. Look, when, when, you're, an, when you're a parent 
you want your kid to go somewhere where you know they're going to be safe. We right? just we just talked about this. You took your son out to Colorado. Yeah, he's looking at colleges. Uh-huh. You love the school, but you're committing to the program. There, there is there is a reason that I spent the entire day talking and hearing from administrators and professors and students, all of which, by the way, were amazing. And and because of that. I feel if he decides he wants to go there, it's not, you know, it ultimately will be his decision. I feel comfortable because of what I've seen there. And and you cannot tell me that these parents are and these kids aren't saying, I feel comfortable because I know I'm going to be taken care of there. Uh, that I know I'm going to have somebody to confide in. And he gets up and leaves. And on top of that, he had weeks or months ago talked about the transfer portal in not a glowing way, saying that in real life there is no transfer portal. Well, apparently, Mr. Tucker, you found the real-life transfer portal that leads from Boulder, Colorado to Lansing, Michigan. He is the biggest hypocrite in sports. You feel better? I don't feel better. I just want to I, give you the floor and let you get... I know that you Look, were, you're, enti- you're entitled to, to you, take a better to job Twitter if you want. on this. Well, I, you know, I've had people say to me, well, you know, what is he supposed to do if he gets so a better my, offer? So that's my question back. And, and I'm always torn because apparently the guy... Went closer to home, got double the money. At what point do you have to keep your word and honor it as opposed to walk away? There is a difference between what maybe you and I do and what these coaches are doing because they they are entrusted with with young men and young women, depending on the sport. And I think you do have an obligation that if you're going to go into people's family rooms and tell them you want them to commit and you're going to be there, you don't leave after a year. But is that a one-way obligation where the school can tell you to go whenever they want, but you have to stay because of a promise? No, no, made? no, no. See, that, but see, that's that's a false statement because I'm just telling you because the things if you that have a every time I bring it up, that's what somebody says no. back. And so I want to give you the chance Fine. to answer those things directly. So, so if if a school or a professional sports team has a contract with a coach, they are forced to honor that contract as far as payment goes. So if you're getting $5 million a year, if they fire you, you're still getting your $5 million unless there's some ex, you know external circumstance that you've done something bad. So the college can't say you're still getting an education and can play football? To who? To the student who thinks that they were cheated by the coach leaving. The student, Again, I'm not, the I'm not really can, saying I'm, I agree I'm with talking, this. I'm, talking about the, I'm not talking about the, the coach-university relationship. I'm talking about the coach-student-athlete relationship. That's the problem that I have is that that you you're supposed to be a leader of young men and women. And as a leader of young men and women, the most important thing that you can do is be honest and trustworthy. And Mel Tucker has shown me nothing that shows that he is honest or trustworthy. Can I give you the bright and if, side of the By the story? way, and if I'm a parent, and don't tell me this is because I went to Michigan, so this has nothing to do with it. If I, if <laughs> I can only imagine what if, you're going to say right now if, when you're prefacing it with If that. I had a child who was playing the sport that Mel Tucker was recruiting for, there is no way that I would trust one word out of his mouth. In fairness, you wouldn't send your child there anyway now, but I see In your fairness, point. In fairness, I would not. <laughs> I see your you're point. You're right. Um, but I believe that people should be honest, and I believe that you should keep your word, and I believe that you are a role model. The one potential bright side of it is uh, Eric Bieniemy may get to return home. He's not. You don't think so? 
I think that'd be a great opportunity for him to be a head he, coach. He is. Nobody can see how close my fingers are. This close he is to being a this head coach close to NFL. being. He should be a head coach. Well, right he should now. have been a head coach okay. in the NFL in this offseason. Yeah, and so he's got the best coordinator job in the entire NFL right now. With he is a Super Bowl champion with Pat Mahomes as the leader of his offense with weapons all over the place, and he's going to have his pick of jobs. Hopefully, he should after this year. If he wants to go home, I mean, he was part of Colorado in its heyday of, of football, and he was a star, and by the way, a former Eagle, um, then it would be great. He will be hailed there. Believe me, they're all talking about it there. But I I don't know if you want him to go there if his real his real want is to go play, go coach an NFL football team, not a college football team. We're going to kind of work this show a little bit backwards because we're going to talk Sixers at about 4.15 when Keith Pompey joins us. Uh, and then we'll we'll talk our baseball at 4.30 when Bill Ripken joins us. So I, I want to ask you a question that I would normally save to the end of the show because I wouldn't talk about this sport early. You can't ask me if I watched did you watch football. The, no, there was did you none. watch the XFL? No. People did. I know they did. But, you know, so here's the problem. And I know you talk like love to talk about ratings. The ratings apparently showed that there were about, what, 3 million viewers, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Do you remember what the XFL ratings were the first week when they came I, last time? I understand. It was like four times that. It's very early. I, I watched this league for the innovations that the NFL will adapt, not for the play on the field. You watch. Well, but do you hear in what you two, just said? In two years, yeah. the NFL will reexamine the kickoff the way that they do but in the XFL. But did you just hear? Vito? You, you, I was going to ask, what did you guys think of the... Uh New on or the kickoff rule. The kickoff was different. Jeff, did you see what the kickoff? I was? like the kickoff, but but you you just said that the reason that you watched it is for what the innovations are going to be in yeah. another league. Well, I didn't watch it because I thought oh. it was the top talent in the world. Okay, I mean the football was actually better than I thought it would be, but I didn't watch it going in thinking I am watching the best football product on the field. I watched it from a production standpoint because that's. I'm interested in that stuff as a communications right. person. Yeah. So the kickoff is something different I was interested in. The way that they did the instant replay, letting you be in the headset of the official, talking to the official, going through, how do you spot it? Is he down? Hold on, I'm going to review it. The way that you could hear the play the whole time from coach to quarterback because they don't cut, shut off the headsets. Right. So the, the coach can talk to all the players. They don't have to signal in plays. It just... Things that the NFL has not adopted yet, if you look at the legacy of the XFL past He Hate Me, which clearly had a legacy <laughs> because people still talk about it today. Where was he the, for opening weekend? Thank you. How missed did, opportunity. How did he not? Strut? Missed opportunity. How was, was he not the guy at like uh, like the opening game that Bring brought the ball out, out the football? Well, I think they didn't. I, I think they wanted to separate and say they're not the same product. Oh, come on. I, I understand. Everybody remembers He Hate Me, and nobody remembers his name. But they remember him with that product of the yeah. XFL, and I think okay. this version wants to be seen differently. Uh-huh. But... Like, remember, last time it was the sky cam. Uh-huh. That was not used in the NFL. They didn't run on the field with Fine. camera people before then. then. then it ch- it you know changed what you could do? the way that you watch a football game. Yeah, but what you're describing are things that they could do in preseason football. But they don't. But, okay, they've had fine. the opportunity to do opportunity to do it for so a decade what? The, now. Are you going to continue to watch the XFL because of the innovations, I will. or are you going to are you only going to watch? Are you going to keep watching it if the football is bad? I didn't say I sat and watched the whole game. Okay. I think that some of the stuff they're doing is cool, and so I will tune in. I won't make my day around it, but if I'm sitting there with nothing else going on, I'll throw the game on and I won't mind watching <laughs> it. 
I love that. I have nothing's going. Nothing else is going. Yeah, on. I got a I got a baby coming there, with his toddler else there at home. You can watch. Isn't there billiards yeah, on? You got TV a lot of TV watch? and couch time coming for you. No, I'm not going to get any TV and couch time. I'm going to be a zombie. Soon. Hey, by the way, I I have a question. Since we're talking about TV and sports, oh, I'm glad you're going there. I thought you were going to talk well, about. Well, first, first of all, I just thought I just thought of something. By the way, be ready to do the show without me one day <laughs> when he decides to join us in the next few weeks. You were you were t- you were talking about how they have you know all the all the cameras on and the mics on and mm-hmm. stuff. Miles Garrett probably would have liked to play in yeah, the SXFL because then we would be able to he, find uh, out if he's full of bleep. He, he again called Mason Rudolph, basically said that he yeah. called him a racist comment. Not only that, he com- he claimed that there was a conspiracy to hide it. But he's been reinstated now. So. See, I th- and and again, this is a reason not to. If if you're not going to show contrition, then you should not be reinstated. <laughs> and and that where is teammates? There were a whole bunch of people around that play. I didn't hear any of his teammates coming out. Yeah, he might have said that. There were players on the other team. Nobody said anything there. I, the only person who supposedly heard it was Miles Garrett, and he decided to whack the guy over the head with his helmet. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't. I got it's the Browns, man. <laughs> it's so you your think they reinstated the they, Browns? You think they reinstated him out of pity? Yeah, because he's in Cleveland. They gotta have some players on that, the field. See, that would at least make sense if they if they announced. Look, look, I, we're, we're reinstating him because he's in Cleveland. When it's I bad have enough, no good man. answer for you, yeah. I just go snarky. That's all right, all so, I got. Since we're talking TV for one, since we got a couple minutes before Keith is on, yeah. Um, why are the why is uh, NBC Sports? cutting down on the number of spring training games i don't know but it bugs me a lot yeah because what, I, do you know because, what time okay, spring so training year, games are on last year we went hold to on do you know what time spring training daytime games are on? when nobody's right. watching okay one o'clock is, in the afternoon what is on nbc sports philadelphia reruns of the poker championship seriously <laughs> so why can't they show the don't game? ask me why i know that yeah but <laughs> <laughs> no because i know why you know that don't worry it's just sad. don't worry mom i'm not gambling yeah <laughs> Seriously, why are they cutting down on the number of games? I don't know. And, you know, last year we were able to go to spring training, so we were able to see it. I can't go this year, and so I want that that spring feel. I, I want the warmth of the, the sun there and the... Well, then just turn the heat up in your house, but... <laughs> no, that's not the same. It's, it's warm in here. Beautiful, clear water. Like, the, the Phillies have been there, been on the field again. Right, but, the, but don't people want to see... guys invited to camp. Don't Who knows people if any of them s- can throw the ball? Don't people want to <laughs> see any of this? I would think so. I was really more, surprised. More than reruns of, of poker and billiards championships? I would think so. And darts? I was really surprised, though. I, I did not think that... There is nothing they could put on that will have better ratings than that. Is that a reflection of people lost interest in this team last year because of how they played? No, is, I think it's poor programming. Oh, So you just think that this is a programming decision, a programming I, mistake? I, my suspicion is, is that this is a money thing. You think so? Oh yeah, I, I think what I think what's going on is it probably cost a lot of money for production, and they said, "Look, we can get the same kind of ratings, showing some other garbage." Maybe. I, 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 what do you think the team that's that's there right now? What do you think of what you're saying? What What have I seen? <laughs> There's nothing to see. Few, they won't show it to me. Few people. I got get in- photos from some people that are down there that show that they look healthy. Few people got injured already. That that'll happen. Uh-huh. Do you believe that David Robertson is going to pitch? For the Phillies no. this season, no. uh, I just I don't see how that's necessarily going to work out and happen. Um, the Sir, Ma- Sir Anthony Dominguez talk, I hope he's healthy, but he didn't have anything done right to fix it. So I don't know if rest. Well, isn't is that better? Gonna, I don't know. Is it better? I think so. I mean, you think? I that, mean, you want somebody to have surgery? I just hope that that fixed whatever the problem was. 
Well, look, you're going to have to trust the doctors that they know what they're doing until they show that they don't know what they're doing. Very true. I mean, you know, I don't trust doctors uh, it's, anymore. It's around really, here it's really, sport. yeah, but it's really hard to question doctors. You know, you you just every injury is handled differently. It's it's just the way it is. Matt Clentak this week says the Phillies absolutely have enough pitching. Now, obviously, what else is he going to say right now? Right. You believe him? Because I don't. Well, wait. Is the question? Do I believe he believes it, or do I just believe it? Both. Uh, you think I, he really uh, believes that? Yes, I do believe he believes it. I believe that he has a big enough ego to believe that. Is that because that he thinks Vince Velasquez is a legit pitcher still? Well, well legit pitcher meaning and what? the starting rotation? Well, it depends if your starting rotation is only going to go four innings. Look, I, I talked to Joe Girardi. It's pretty obvious from, from talking to him and hearing the things that he said that he thinks Vince Velasquez could be really good in the back end of the bullpen, which means... By by a process of elimination, has to be he there. doesn't think that he would be good at the front end of the of the pitching staff. All right, so and we have what three four years of of seeing that Vince Velasquez will have one stellar game every ten to fifteen starts, and the rest of them are going to be four innings and then struggle. We'll keep trying to get we a hold. Of, we'll keep trying to get a hold of Keith. He's mm-hmm. he's probably frozen out in Chicago by this point. Or oh, something. I, well, I know he's talking to. So if, if we if we if we don't get him, Keith is supposed to come on, but he's in the middle of an interview with two of the Sixers right now. Oh, okay. So well, hopefully he can. <laughs> so hopefully get, he's got a story for us, but he's talking to Ben and Joe. Get free afterwards. Yeah. Uh, we'll see about that. We'll we'll just keep going. So all right. Um, where are you with the lineup for this team? I keep seeing the Chris Bryant stuff. I don't think that that's really oh, real. Oh, I don't think he's – they're not going to be able to trade for him. And I don't think – Chris Bryant was an MVP, what, four years ago? Um, since that time, he's been a very good ball player. I don't know if the Phillies are going to be able, going to be willing to give up what he supposedly will be. I don't worth. know if I'm willing to give up what he supposedly will. I mean, prospects are prospects until they prove themselves. We don't know what Bohm is going to be, but I don't know if they're ready to give up on Bohm. I'd uh, more likely give up on Bohm for that than I would Howard. I don't put Spencer Howard in any deal right now because I don't have enough arms. I, w- I wouldn't do that for either one of them. So I, I, I wouldn't don't. like to do it for Bohm, but I realize that you have to give something to get something if you're going to make a move. Right. I don't know that yeah, I like that Yeah, Bri- but is Chris Bryant the guy that you want to make the move for? Well, I said, I was saying, like, I don't know that I necessarily like that move mm-hmm. per se. Yeah. Because I don't know that it improves you so much, and maybe in the short term, but in the long run, I don't know. I don't know what Alec Bohm is yet. And that's the problem with some of these guys. You're walking into to camp yeah, with they, a lot of question marks at positions that you're not really sure about. Well, ideally, though, they have... I mean, they've, they've provided the stopgap measure to give Alec a chance to develop uh, not too fast. And they're not going to rush him up. I think that's the whole point of bringing D.D. Gregorius in. The question, what I was kind of surprised at, is is that they moved Gregorius to shortstop. Yeah, and and put Segura and Kingery in a competition for who's at second and who's Kingery at third. Looks pretty jacked, by the way. You know, by the way, you know who else looks pretty jacked from from what I've seen down there so far. Yeah, he does. I knew you were gonna say that. Yeah, he that. does. I, <laughs> I had no doubt who you were gonna say. Where does he start this year? Is he triple A or is he still double A? No, he'll be triple A. He'll be he'll be triple A. Yeah. Hey, because hey, Hazley's going to be the starting center fielder, and we're gonna we're gonna have Moniac there, and now we're gonna see. And and again, Moniac did well as one of the younger players in Double A, so people are gonna have to realize that 
it takes time to develop a high school kid. Yeah, we've realized from our Twitter account that people don't realize it takes time to develop a high school kid, Jeff. No, especially in baseball. That That's very clear from, yeah. from the responses that they, they get. They expect everything he, to be like the NFL or be like the NBA. He was 18 when they drafted him, right? Yeah, he, I yeah, mean, he's been the youngest guy in the system. Look, when we interviewed him, was it last year or two years ago, Jeff? He said he still has growing pains. Like yeah. literal like pains he has in literal his body. Physical bo- and you could see the difference. Growing. You could see he's bigger. Yeah. You know, just a bigger, you know, I mean, we've, we've talked to him. We've ca- talked to him enough times that literally every time you see him, you see the development of his, his physical stature. So uh, and each time he gets better. I, I don't know if he's ever going to develop into a home run hitter, but that's not what they draft him to be. Whether people want to... People want everybody to come up here and be a home run hitter. That wasn't what he was drafted to be. He's a traditional center fielder. He he may be forced to play one of the corner positions at some point because if if Hazley works out, uh, and Hazley's also not a home run hitter. By now Hazley's going to be your opening day center fielder, right? With McCutcheon yeah. platooning with him is what no, you No, McCutcheon think? will go to left. He'll go to. Will he start the season? Well, the, who else would you want in left? I don't know who the who they're. No rotation it, I, with I, players right I, now. I think that the starting out because Kingery's going to have to play someplace. Kingery's going to play second or third. Remember, not you if you Bohm's up. If Bohm's up, he's up at third. Trade Segura. Yeah, the, they're not going to trade Segura. Yeah, and they if, are. If, if Bohm makes it to the majors straight out of out of camp, so which I doubt comfor- is going to happen, you'd feel comfortable with a an infield of Hoskins. Yeah, Kingery at second. Gregorius yes. and Bohm. Yeah, why would you not? That's your that's it's that's young, ideal. It's a young infield. Well, Gregorius For, isn't young. Hoskins isn't young anymore. He's in his you, late twenties. Kingery and Bomar. Right. I, I'm just I'm. That's good. That's what you want. That's what you, you give a good th- balance that, to the infield. So, do you think there's value for Segura on a trade? It doesn't matter. All right. I, I think that's uh, Segura's. Segura appears to not be in the favor of, of this group, even though they traded for him. And then again, you didn't give up much. You gave up J.P. Crawford to get him. So it's, it's not like they gave up too much. They don't, have to, they don't have to be wed to him. He is a guy who could be your utility infielder. I think he's going to sulk if that's it. I mean, he doesn't exactly have the best Jeff, attitude th- to begin with. What do you think the odds of Josh Harrison being the utility infielder for this team going forward if they did move Segura? Oh, he he he's definitely it. As long as he's healthy. The question is whether or not he's going to got a lot of healthy. bats and a lot of arms in camp. It's just a question of who fills out they got the a lot depth of, on the roster. They, they seem to have brought in players in camp. Yeah, they seem to have brought players. in all McCutcheon's old buddies. <laughs> Pretty much the, the whole except Pittsburgh the one you Pirates wanted former team. Right, except the one you wanted, yeah. which is Garrett Cole. Yeah, <laughs> he, we did want him. No, but uh, we got Francisco Liriano. That'll be okay. Yeah, we're good. We're good now. Um, <laughs> Do you want to you want to leave Sixers in case we do get to Keith? No, I think we should start. All right, so we'll talk a little Sixers because because um, they drove me nuts the other night. Yes. Yeah. So you and Keith were uh, texting at the Clippers game. It drives me nuts. So <laughs> so they did really well against the team that is the favorite to win the NBA championship this year, the Clippers. Okay, and they did it. Now the Clippers were without Patrick Beverly, but this team played well, and every. Every guy who played well when they played well, all it did was remind me that they don't do it consistently. So at the beginning of the game, if you saw Tobias Harris, he was a beast. He was aggressive. He was going to the hole. He was shooting from all over the place. He looked like the guy that got that contract that he just got. And my my text was, why can't he do this all the time? Why this is I constantly complained his about his lack of aggressiveness. And the response was 
well, he's not playing against a team that didn't give him the contract. <laughs> well, that can't be the only thing that motivates him. And, and, and I don't think it's for him. I think it's that he just will – he kind of plays a back seat to, to Ben and Joe. He, he's not going to be the guy to take over even though he should. Then you watch and you saw Ben not taking the ball up all the time, playing all over the place, but essentially playing a powered point forward kind of position. You mean the position we scream for him to yes, play? Yes, exactly. For okay, cool. Showing what he can do. You saw Embiid playing from from sideline to sideline or end line to end line, not playing from three point yeah, under to the three basket. Point. It was nice to see and watching him dominate there. And you saw Richardson in the fourth quarter. Just light it up and take because the space was there. Now, I'll tell you at the end of the fourth quarter, I started to see Joel stopping at the three point line again. And so the frustration is how will they come out and play next week when they play Brooklyn in the first game back? Are they going to fall back? Are they going to sit there and we're going to be frustrated again that they can play is when it, they're the, the top game on television? Is that really a question? <laughs> Well, yeah, but there's one thing that's different now, which is Horford to the uh, bench. Is on the bench. Okay. I like that move. Well, it's, we, we've been talking about it forever. Look, the, and B the goes to the bench six minutes into the game. It's not like he's not getting in. Right, So, the, but the question is, is whether Horford is the consummate team player. But he signed here to be a starter. He didn't sign a four-year deal to sit on the bench. Yeah, it's a lot of money for the bench. Exactly. It's a long-term problem with that fit, but in the short term, the solution is to have a stagger so the, Yeah, the so the question is, is he going to be happy coming off the bench? I think it's ideal because we all know that Embiid is not in tip-top shape, right? So if if he can play, if he can sit on the bench more and get more rest, and you have somebody as good as Horford coming in to replace him, it changes the dynamic of the rest of the team. Now the question is, what happens to the rest of the group? So you brought in Glenn Robinson the third. He looked okay the other night. He's been here before. It's not like he was lighting it they up. They were a very different team when he was here last yes, time. Yes, but he was not good. I mean, Robinson's bounced around. Yes. Okay. He's streaky. Uh, yes, but he but he's not a star. Burks, on the other hand, is somebody that I think could provide the kind of instant offense off the bench that they want and fits in here. Now, what ends up happening is Shake didn't see the light of day. Norvell Pell now moves to the third center position. I don't still don't know what O'Quinn's doing on the team. I'm shocked he's Other, still on the team. <laughs> but by the way, the best part Are of they sitting, just waiting till March first with that the, so that he can't play on a playoff roster. I have no idea. The, the best the best part of watching the sitting behind the bench is watching Kyle, uh, watching um, Norvell Pell and how excited he is for his teammates. Oh, he gets to the point it. that he he's in he's got this guitar thing going where he plays air guitar. And at the end of it, I didn't even realize this, but it was pointed out to me at the end of his little air guitar riffs, he actually unplugs from the amp. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but the team looked like they were having fun the other night, which is which followed a night uh, that created some outrage before that when. Uh, Joel Embiid decided to shush some people and uh, say a little more, Jeff. Yeah, I, I, let's look. let's get into um, was the radio. There were a lot of boos. Was the radio outrage legit and reaction? And then, what was your take on the little social media interactions between Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid, kind of flirting well, back yes, and forth? It, it was was the the outrage was expected because it's Philadelphia. Um, it was somewhat was it appropriate. Warranted. It wasn't. It wasn't. It, look, Joel Embiid does this because he apparently watches more professional wrestling than you do. 
<laughs> the, 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 the fact is, he wants to be the, what, what you guys call the heel. <clears throat> he does. He, he totally that. wants to be the he heel. He said he likes to do it. He wants that. He likes the attention. That That's him. He craves the attention, and he doesn't care whether it's positive or negative, and he doesn't care what you all think as long as you do something when he walks out there. Well, he and said, so he that's said what, what he does. you have to be willing to get as good as you give or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but that what he says means nothing. It, 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 he just wants it. He is one of those. He's a kid who hasn't grown up who needs attention all the time. Okay. All the time. Now, Jimmy Butler, I think that Jimmy Butler was, was doing something that Joel doesn't even realize, which is Jimmy doesn't want him down there. Jimmy left here because partly because these guys don't work hard. Jimmy Butler is always Jimmy left because of Simmons. No, there's a lot to this, and part of this is 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 that Jimmy Butler just doesn't doesn't like guys that work hard. Why don't we? He's on a comp- competing team. He caused problems up here. It works to his advantage. Why don't we leave the basketball there? We'll try to get to Keith at some point. Uh, why don't get we... some baseball? Yeah, I definitely want to talk a little Go baseball. Uh, we've got MLB analyst, uh, analyst on MLB Network, former 12-year major leaguer, author extraordinaire, award-winning broadcaster, Bill Ripken. Did I do a enough, good enough job introducing you there? It, it makes me want to do the show for a little bit, that's for sure. <laughs> See, I didn't start with a uh, self-described crusty old baseball guy. I could have gone there, but I decided to wait, and, and let's get into this all. I love your book idea, but my co-host loves your book idea even more because he basically sings the praises of the things you write about and has for the last three years we've been together on the air. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, Bill, I, I don't need to, 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 uh, to kiss your butt with regard to this. This book is great. For, for people that are, that are interested in the, the differences and the clash between old school and, and new school, this, this summarizes all of that stuff. So can you talk to a little bit about how this came about that you decided on writing this book and, and, and the differences between old school and new school? Well, I think the reason why I started putting some notes down and then the book kind of formulated as a result of that was I think over the past few years when more conversations swirled around new school, new school, new school, there became this little thought process and almost implication that old school baseball guys just threw the bats and balls out on the field and with no plan whatsoever said, go get them. And that's, that's not the case. It never has been. We've always liked and used numbers. We've always liked and used information. And I believe that's the very definition of, shall we say, analytical. So to think that the old school baseball guy was just this big dummy that went out there and flew by the seat of his pants and had gut instincts and just played, I don't think is quite accurate. So, all right. So let's go through the the old school, new school, clash and rolls. You you go through launch angle, pitch framing, war. These are all abbreviations that drive Jeff insane sometimes. Um, <laughs> people who are not baseball fans don't truly understand them. What's your take on, on some of these uh, new words out there that, that people use to try and track their success as opposed to what you would view as a traditional metric of success? Well, let's take war, for example. Um, one, trying to put a single number and assign it to a player as his value to a team or a value in the place of the game, I think is a little crazy. The second part that kind of bugs me a little bit is there are different groups 
that calculate their war differently and have different war numbers at the end of the year for any set player. And three, I kind of make a little light of it by definition alone. The Boston Red Sox a few years back sent Jackie Bradley Jr. down to AAA three different times during the season. And yet at the end of the year, Jackie Bradley had a positive war. And by their definition, not mine, a wins above replacement player is when a guy comes up that's readily available and replaces a big league player. Well, Jackie Bradley Jr. replaced himself several times during the course of the year. So, therefore, it is a wins above Jackie Bradley Jr. for Jackie Bradley Jr. So, so we, we have here this issue with Reese Hoskins, and this is something we talked about a lot last year, which is whether or not the analytics, because it, there seems to be a cookie-cutter way of doing things when you bring in one of these analytics guys is that everybody is supposed to have the same swing plane and things like that. Does, does the way that the rigidity of analytics and the way that it's being used hurt the individual ball player? Uh, it can, and, and it, I think it can hurt the overall performance of a team. So let's think about launch angle for one second. In 2018, okay, Mookie Betts won the MVP for the Boston Red Sox American League at an average year-long launch angle at 18.4 while hitting 32 homers. The National League MVP winner was Christian Yelich, who had an average launch angle year-long at 4.7 hit 36 homers. So this guy actually had four more home runs than Mookie Betts did, and Mookie Betts uh, clearly had a higher launch angle. So this just goes to prove, first and foremost, there's no one way to do things. There's no one set rule. And then my other problem with launch angle is people will make statements in the offseason that a guy worked really hard on improving his launch angle. Well, did it go up or did it go down? When he improved it, the assumption is when you improve something, it goes up. But yet, Javi Baez, 2016, 2017, and 2018, continually got better as an offensive player. And in 2018, his launch angle was two degrees lower than his launch angle was in 2016. So there's no one-size-fits-all. And my fear with some of these new number crunchers and the new metrics of the game they're trying to shoehorn everything into a measurement, everything into a number, and baseball is just not that way. You talked some, I heard an interview about the overshift, and uh, that's another one that sticks in Jeff's crawl. Uh, he's not, not a fan of it. But you made a point about the missed opportunities for double plays because of the overshift. Can you talk a little more about that and the impact it has and how long you think that will be around before they potentially make that change to not allow it? Well, look, the overshift was not invented by, shall we say, the new school. Now, the overshift gone wild, I believe, has been <laughs> invented by the new school. Um, I remember standing out in short right field in Minnesota in front of the baggie when Ken Herbeck was up. But I also remember when there was men on base, you had responsibilities of trying to secure something. And I believe my terminology and our terminology of the old school is sometimes to get something, you have to give something up. And double plays are one of those things. So I'm not sure where this all lies in the, in the overshift gone wild type mentality. But I will say this. I don't believe 
the overshift works nearly as well as other people think. And the reason I say that is I'll use a new term metric, BABIP, batting average on balls put in play. Okay? Since 2012, the batting average on balls put in play has virtually stayed the same during the course of a full season, all teams counted. Now, if that's true, even if the overshift takes 40 points away from a guy that might be that Ken Herbeck-type hitter, big left-handed slugger that's a pull guy, if you take 40 points from him, you're giving two points to 20 other guys. So the overall overshift, I don't believe, works near as well, and I believe in isolated situations it can hurt teams because it takes away the double play, and I think it gives up big biscuits and big hits at big times of game. All right. So here's another thing that, that kills me, the robo-umps. You talk a little bit about robo-umps. What is, what is your thought on, on how that hurts the game to have them? Well, there is always going to be, in my opinion, in sport, the human element to a degree. And I do like instant replay to a degree, although I think we could tweak it, and that's for another chapter at another time. But the robo-ump, <laughs> I, I, I don't necessarily want that happening. Um, my opinion is, and I have a chapter in the book on that, is the idea of there are better ball strike umpires in the game now than others. So if that holds true and we have the technology to measure these umpires, let's make them ball strike umpires. Let them, their only job be behind on plate. So when I was doing some research on this chapter, the five guys I named in the book that have done it the best recently I didn't know any of their names. The five guys that didn't do it the best, I knew every one of their names. And not only do they miss pitches behind on plate, but then they overreact to the hitter who gets on the guy and then throws him out, and then we have a conversation about the guy's name. So when you look at robo-ump, I don't want it, but if umpires don't kind of help themselves here, we're going to end up getting it. Has there been a discussion with umpires to, to explain exactly what you're talking about so that they understand that they might be in control of their own destiny? You know what? I, I don't know if that's happened, but here's one case that I've always had a problem with. If you're in the big leagues and you underperform, you've got a chance of being sent down, correct? Correct. If you're an umpire in the big leagues and you sort of underperform, you're almost like a Supreme Court justice. Because I don't know, and I cannot remember, of a performance-based, um, shall we say, demotion to the minor leagues. Now, there have been some disciplinary actions taken towards some umpires, but that's not the same thing what we're talking about. So if we have technology to grade them, let's grade them. And if you have a subpar outing or a subpar season, you might be relegated, shall we say, to the minor leagues. And I think that way we can actually keep the better ones in the game. You talk a little bit about in that conversation there about disciplinary action. I'll, I'll take something not necessarily directly in the book, but the Astros. Uh, people are reporting a training, spring training, and you're getting a lot of responses both from the Astros and from other players. Uh, look, I was telling Jeff before, I work in public relations in my day job. I don't know that I've seen many things as bad as what the Astros did in terms of their apology tour yesterday. They had one job not to make it worse. 
they failed miserably. Uh, it's, I've never seen anything like that. Um, your reaction to both the cheating scandal, the punishment, and the reaction that everybody's had to it. Well, I tell you what, I think I'm very interested in what you had to say is the PR thing, and you said they kind of failed miserably in their plan to do something. Look, that's not my area. I would have much rathered and would probably rather in a lot of cases hear something along the lines of, all right, so we started doing this thing and it seemed pretty innocent. And then we started having some success with it and then one thing led to another and it became really problematic for us to stop. And the more success came, the snowball started rolling down the mountain in a big way and there was just no one that was going to be able to stop this. We apologize for what we did. Um, we understand it's wrong. We applaud the commissioner's office for laying the smack down on us because this will help our game in the future. Um, that would be my PR take on that and try to run from it from there. But clearly some things got out of hand, and I would have liked to heard a little bit different of an explanation. But Jim Crane said that there was no impact on the games. Only for 50 seconds. Then he was asked about it again and said that he never said that. Is there, is there any chance that there was no impact on the games? Well, let's put it this way. Um, I hung around in the big leagues. I got 10 years of service time, 12 parts of season. If I would have known what pitches were coming, I would be higher than a 247 lifetime hitter. I can guarantee that. I would um, bet on that because I really can't get in the Hall of Fame, so I could bet on that baseball fact. Um, so that's an area where we cannot go. Um, it's not fathomable. And I think if your pitchers are out there that have ever faced the Houston Astros are now going back through their mind, and it's maybe not so much giving up a homer, but it might be the fact that they threw a nasty slider and a one-two count down and away, and somebody just spit on it and took it for a ball got another pitch, and they did damage on it. And sometimes when you know what's coming, and I know firsthand that I chase sliders because it looks like a heater coming out of the guy's hand. But if you would have told me it's a slider, You'll lay and off I of knew it. it was a slider, I guarantee I would have laid off of it. Yeah, without a doubt. Look, Bill, we re we've read your book, and, and just so people remember the name of it, the name of the book is State of Play. Uh, Bill, uh, I didn't find any spelling mistakes in there. But somebody reminded me that there was there was a mistake on something else involving you, which is a baseball card in 1989. We have to ask. Uh, we <laughs> we got to ask what happened. To, we can't say that what was written on the bottom <laughs> of your baseball bat. But how did that happen? We, we posted that you were coming on and people literally posted the card in the comments asking us to ask you. <laughs> All right. So here's the deal, because you guys are very intelligent people <laughs> and you have the resources of the Google, the story's out there. Okay. It really is. Okay. So I'm just going to let it go at that. I applaud the fact that uh, my University of Aberdeen High School education allowed me to go through with proofreaders and fix all spellings. <laughs> I will admit one mistake in the book, though. We have Zach Granke pictured in there, and it says pictured as an Arizona Diamondback. He's clearly wearing the Dodgers uniform. So for that, I apologize. But what I will say is the original picture that I saw, because through Getty Images, the picture was cheaper, and we know that everybody likes to watch their budget. I saw that picture with him as a Diamondback, and in my category and in my chapter on overshifts, I said, no, 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 I'm 
completely talking about Granke in that game five against the New York Mets. And he was victimized by the overshift, so we must have him as a Dodger. So we upgraded the picture. The Dodger picture went in, but the caption never got We'll picked. forgive so, you. Don't everybody worry. out there, intelligent people, the Google is yeah. out Google. there. Look up the story, and then the story's out there. Bill, before we let you go, uh, the one thing that, that I was touched by in your book is, is, is the stories and, and talking about your family and your family in baseball. Uh, and your father's role in, in, in your life, as, both as a baseball player and as a man. Um, what was it, what's it like to have grown up in a baseball family the way that you did? Well, Dad was very real, um, you know, with us. And I, I even say in the book, but probably can't, you know, articulate it as well as you can in person. He treated myself and my brother differently, but fairly in both ways. And sometimes parents go, ooh, what do you mean? And I go, well, he would matter of fact me from time to time and say, you're not him. You can't do some of the things that he can do. And all right, in some regards, people go shock factor. But in the real world, that's exactly the truth. And I couldn't hit the two-run, three-run home run and hit 30 home runs in a year and be an MVP in a league. But he always told me, he said, but if you can do what you can do, because what you can do is pretty good, You'll find in most cases that's going to be good enough. So his influence on me, not having the talent that my brother had, probably enabled me to squeak the years out that I did in the big leagues. His influence on Junior, who was bigger, more talented, um, you know, arguably smarter. I don't know if that's necessarily true or not. But I think his influences on Junior were such where it made him the Iron Man and a Hall of Famer. So. Uh, everything that I have and everything that I can relay in the baseball world, um, I can channel through senior passing along a few things to me. So if I didn't write about him, there'd be something wrong with this picture. Well, Bill, we can't thank you enough for the time. Encourage everybody to go out and get the book, State of Play, The Old School Guide to New School Baseball by Bill Ripken. We'll look out for you on MLB Network and uh, really appreciate the time and the stories. Thanks so much. All right, guys, I appreciate you. Thank have, you. Have a great one. All right, Jeff, we're going to go right from baseball yep. to some basketball. If Keith Pompey is not frozen. Keith, I have been watching your Twitter feed and the pictures you're posting. It appears you are not warm right now. And that you're looking for sympathy. Nah. <laughs> yeah, 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 man, yeah, it's been like this. So yesterday, I, I thought the uh, the air in the hotel was was broken because <laughs> i turned the heat all the way up and it's still freezing in the room oh, <laughs> you know oh, what i mean can't you, catch, you know what you catch a break hey keith every all-star game can't be in miami or phoenix <laughs> <laughs> you know what but they need to they really do i'm like you know what i'm saying to myself like i love chicago i mean i really do just in the but summer <laughs> yeah in the summer all right so you know you know in the summer so you're right. out there go ahead so, Jeff. so so, so what, do you, what have you been doing while you're out there Basketball wise, are you are you are you, pl- are you are you going to be playing in the celebrity game? Nah, no, they don't want that. They don't want that. Well, we, <laughs> that'll, be, we, that'll be an instant meme. Keith Jakes crossed over. No, we 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 yeah. would much prefer you be the representative of Philadelphia than Kevin Hart. No more Kevin Hart at the celebrity game. What you can so arrange? Is he representing that. Philly and LA? Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah, he represents whoever's better. So what's the, the yeah. feel out there, Keith? You're talking to players, uh, getting some interviews in, going to cover it. 
Uh, what's the, the thought process as the Sixers are at the NBA All-Star break and we got a couple players out there? Well, you know, it's funny. Like, a lot of people are asking me, like, what are the Sixers going to do? Like, what if they don't win the championship? Are they going to get rid of Joe? Are they going to get rid of Ben? You know, it just seems like that's what everyone keeps, you know, asking. You know, they want to know what's going to happen, what's the next move for the Sixers. And everyone keeps talking about, what about Brett Brown? Is he going to keep his job? You know, it's like the same stuff that we're talking about. It's like what a lot of people out there, I mean, out here, excuse me, are, are talking about in Chicago. So are, are, are the reporters out there, the national reporters, the people from other cities, are they peppering Ben and Joe with these same questions? And what is their reaction to it? Well, you know, the thing is, Ben and Joe, like today they had like a little media thing and, and they really didn't, I mean, Ben talked and he talked to me and Joel didn't want to do any media, but tomorrow is like obligated. That's when they're going to get all the, the, you know, the 800 questions about it, you know, tomorrow at the, uh, at, at the mandatory, you know, all-star media um, event. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're not really getting questions. So they're all coming up to me. Hey, what do you think? What do you think? Jo- Joel, so what do you think? Joel's had an interesting week uh, himself. Uh, you know, uh, the the shushing the crowd and, and mouthing what he did. Uh, I'd mentioned to Jeff whether the outrage was warranted or not. Then Thursday night with the Clippers, or when was that game? Wednesday Thursday. night. I lose track of days now. Um, you know, back under the basket, look, playing a little more aggressive at times. Now he's out there. Um, what are your thoughts on the week that Joel Embiid has had? It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it really was. I mean, you know, it's funny because now people are saying Joel did it all purposely. Like, he did it just so he can get an edge. You know, I don't know if I believe that, you know, but that's what they're saying. They're like, yeah, Joel did it all purposely. Well, see, um, But, huh? Go ahead. See, but Keith, it seems to me that, that Joel just wants attention, and he doesn't care whether it's negative attention or positive attention. No he press just is wants bad press. Be, he just wants to be noticed. I agree. And the thing is, and then Joel is, is also one of those things where he kind of likes it when you when you kill him. Like if I write an article and I say something, you know, Joel won't speak to me. He'll get upset, you know, unless it's mandatory. He has to. And he but but at the same time, I think he loves that, like, because now it's like I'm going to go out there and I'm going to prove everyone wrong. And everyone's talking about me. You know what I mean? So he wants to be the villain. He wants to be the guy that the media always says, you know, negative things about. I mean, that's just him. That's him. That's that's how he gets motivated. The thing is, he needs to be motivated with or without that. You know what I mean? You, you shouldn't need that to, uh, at, to motivate you. You should just come ready to play all the time. Well, so that, that that's, you know, you and I were texting during the game, and one of the things that's frustrating to me is that this team seems to need outside motivation to keep itself going. Tobias Harris, I have always said, seems like if he just wants to take over, he's capable of taking over. That he that when he, when he decides to be aggressive, he is a really good ball player. And for some reason... You know, he had the motivate. You said he had the motivation the other day with with the Clippers. But why mm-hmm. why do they seem to constantly need motivation instead of just wanting to win a championship? You know, you're right. You, you know, and, and and that's a bad part. You know, and and I, you know, sometimes you kind of think that a coach would be able to keep them motivated. 
because it seems like, you know, you were at the Christmas Day game. It seems like whenever a good team comes to town or whatever it is, they all get motivated. But I think they think they're just too, they're good enough to just beat up on anyone. You know? It, it's then bad. do it's it. Like, it. Yeah, it, but, but sometimes when you don't come to play and you're going through the motions, you know, things just happen. And the one thing I will say about Tobias is that I kind of think that he really isn't put in, in the right situation. I think he's a victim of the system, you know, certain games, meaning like they want him to stay in the corner and hit threes, but he's more than that. You know what I mean? He is a, you know, he, he is like, you know, he's a, a rhythm type of guy, you know what I mean? But when you play with Joel and Ben Simmons, you're only, I mean, at best you're the third fiddle. So he's not going to get those opportunities. Yeah, but the opportunities seemed to come when, when Embiid decided to run from end line to end line and play under the basket. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But when does Embiid always want to do that? Well, that, I think that's what drives Dref nuts is that he doesn't always want to do it. And, and because he doesn't always want to do it and, and some other players don't want to do it, they fall back into this complacency where Jeff was asking me earlier in the show, he goes, you know, what's this team going to look like when they come out against Brooklyn? They look one way against the Clippers going into the break. They're going to come back and go and play against Brooklyn and look at the same team that just can't get themselves motivated to win a game that they should win. Yeah, I mean, again, that that's the problem. I mean, you guys, you guys asking the questions, but you also know the answers, <laughs> you know. And 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 I think, you know, that's part of the reason why a lot of people are saying it's going to be a make or break year for the coach, you know, because you know, right now this is extremely uh, uh, a extremely talented team, but they don't always get motivated, and that's the problem. So you know, if they're not like the the they're not like the Chicago Bulls back when they had Jordan, where they just wanted to destroy everyone, no matter who they played. They're not even like the Golden State Warriors when they, when you know, a couple of years ago when they wanted to break the Bulls' record. You know what I mean? And and they lost the championship that year. But you know, right now this Sixers team seems like they're just trying to um, get to the playoffs. They're not. You know what I mean? That's what their focus is. And by doing that. They slid down to fifth in the East. You I, know, I was surprised that Brett put Horford on the bench to start the game, not because I didn't think that in terms of where the pieces fit, that's not where he's best right now, but because just the salary you're putting 109 million dollars on the bench. You surprised that they made that move, and what do you think this rotation is going to look like now with some of the new names that they've brought in? You know, who's going to get the playing time? Do you think? Um, I, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if we see Glenn Robinson the third starting. And the reason being is, like Furkan Korkmaz, I think he was better suited for coming off the bench. I also think that Alec Burks, Alec Burks will be, you know, a guy that's going to come off and going to get a lot of minutes. You know, I was shocked that that uh, Shake Milton like went from being a starter to like. A uh, bench minute guy again, and and the only reason I do think that Alec Burke is a better player than him, but I was just shocked that you know you're playing a guy 30 minutes for like seven games in a row, and then all of a sudden he just goes to the bench, and, he and he's like not even part of the rotation. He's hanging so that's Norvell for the frosty freeze out. <laughs> yeah, frosty free, but I but I honestly think like if it comes down to like let's say in the playoffs, 
you got an eight-man rotation. So I think the three bench players are going to be, wow, that's crazy. It's going to be um, – Horford? Let's say Burks. Huh? Horford? Horford? Yeah. Burks. And Cork Burks. And Cork Mines. But the thing is, but then what about Seibel? You know, that's the thing. But, yeah, you, I mean, I think Seibel could be a situational guy. You know, but I really like his defense, and what, I think he's wait, better. Wait, what about Neto? Brett's favorite guy. <laughs> yeah, Neto, I think <laughs> now that Alec Burke is around, I think Neto is done. <laughs> you know. Keith, we uh, we hope you have a great time out in Chicago. Always Stay love warm getting you to Jersey. And happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. We hope you get some good food out there, too. Enjoy yourself and uh, safe travels back, man. Yeah, I guess happy Valentine's Day to y'all, too. <laughs> I, I'm not used to saying it to, like, you know, normally as a lady, you're like, hey, happy Valentine's Day. Look, he's, <laughs> he's, spent, it, he's spent it talking huh? to us. I don't know how it gets any better, man. <laughs> I know, right? On Valentine's Day. <laughs> Have a great All one. Right. Talk right, to you later. Right. Bye-bye. Peace. Oh, poor Keith. He's freezing out in Chicago. Feeling the love from Chi-Town. Chi- he can't down, even huh? get it. He's got to wear a parka in his hotel room, it sounds like. <laughs> Uh, by, right. by the way, we got to thank Bill Ripken again. But uh, by the way, I just got a note from somebody yeah. saying that after reading that, they downloaded his book. Did they? Yeah. Nice. Uh-huh. I'm sure he'll like to hear it that. It is a great book. Yeah. I mean, if you love baseball and, and like what's and are frustrated by what's going on between old school and new school, oh, this book, so, this book really spoke to you. It. Yeah. He could have named this. I wrote this for Jeff Cohen. Yeah. He literally that could have been the title, and the it would have ne- worked. The next perfectly. publication I will be glad to write the forward is Ken Rosenthal isn't around. You'll be out there and you'll do that. <laughs> uh, Flyers. Let's let's get to them for a second. We've only got 30 seconds left. 32-19 and 7, four-point edge over the Hurricanes for the second wild card spot. Carter Hart back looking very good. Do you know what they're where they would be if they were in the in the Western Conference? Not where they are. They'd now. be one of the top teams. Yeah, the yeah. Eastern Conference is pretty they have deep. The seventh best yeah. best record in, in NHL. In the NHL. Yeah. yeah, it's uh and again, I will encourage more people to go to games. It's a fun team. You this should team's go and only watch gonna that. get better. This is a young team. Now too. is the time to buy into the Flyers. Jeff, yes. last words before we sign off the air today. And gritty is free. Gritty is free, right. Jeff. I know you are very uh-huh. excited about that. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.